Hi, my name is John Whitaker, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. Here on the Bible in Life, we are all about a down-to-earth Bible teaching, what I call blue jeans theology. That is Bible teaching that's rooted in the context of everyday life, that's talked about and explained in the language of everyday life, so that we can follow Jesus right in the midst of our everyday life. And uh, I pray that this podcast is just super helpful to you. If you're a first-time listener to this episode, then welcome. I'm so glad you're here. If you find this helpful, I would encourage you to subscribe. If you've been listening for a while and you've been blessed or encouraged in some way by this podcast, would you do me a favor? Would you just share this podcast on uh, your social media channels? Would you uh, recommend it to your friends? Would you maybe even go to your podcast player and write a recommendation or a review there uh, just as a way to help more and more people learn about the podcast and so that more people who could be helped by this podcast could more easily find it and listen and be built up in their faith as well. All right, we have been exploring various questions uh, over the last handful of episodes where we, we've been just calling them questions of doubt, the kinds of questions that we wrestle with sometimes in our private moments, sometimes even in our church experience. They're questions that we're afraid to even voice out loud because we don't know how people will respond. And that's terribly unfortunate to me. Uh, the church ought to be a safe place for us if we're wrestling with doubts if we're a believer or wrestling with doubts, for us to wrestle with those and, and be heard and listened and have people just ask us good questions and help us think those things through well. If, if we're a, a, a skeptic and a seeker and we're not even sure what we believe yet, man, the church ought to be a safe place for us to ask those questions so that we can figure out what all this means and who Jesus is so that we can follow him together. And that's really been the heart behind this series. And, and so on this episode, there are just a handful of questions that... Uh, came in via email or text message to me that it's like, oh, yeah, I just want to kind of lump these together. They, they don't all necessarily relate. This is sort of like a random collection of three questions that I think those are important questions. Let's explore those together. One of them is this. Why does God seem so invisible, unknown, and unresponsive? Another one that we'll explore in this episode is what makes belief in Jesus the exclusive way to true life, both here and now and after death? And then the third one I want to explore on this episode is, if the church has often hurt its neighbors through violence or racism or sexism or whatever, what does that tell us about how we should trust what traditions and beliefs the church has passed on to us? Those are really good questions, important questions, questions that show up quite frequently um, as far as people just wrestling with their faith or wrestling with the faith in general. So let's just take them in the order I read them off. First one is, why does God seem so invisible, unknown, and unresponsive? And So on an earlier episode, uh, we already talked about the idea of unanswered prayer. That was on part seven, questions of doubt, part seven. So if you haven't listened to that one, you might go back and check that one out. And that one dealt with unanswered prayer and dealt with even miracles and how should we understand those. And so that kind of gets at that unresponsive part. Um, so what about the invisible and unknown part? And it really relates to the unresponsive part as well. And look, this is just a reality, okay? Like God's hiddenness is a, a theme that shows up even in Scripture that the psalmists sometimes wrestle with, right? When you read the Psalms, they're like this, God, like where, where have you gone? Why are you so silent? God, don't ignore my request. So this this subject has been something that people 
of God have wrestled with for a very, very long time and is even recorded for us in Scripture, which, by the way, is one of my favorite things about the Bible is that it's honest. It doesn't ignore some of these hard questions or some of these difficulties or some of the things that don't always make sense as we walk with God. And this is one that just shows up over and over and over again in the Psalms. And yet, even in the Psalms, it's never something that subverts or discounts God's existence. It's more about wrestling with the way God relates to people. And so, uh, for whatever reason, sometimes God goes into hiding. For whatever reason, sometimes uh, God seems unresponsive or silent. And it's a consistent theme in the scriptures that that's part of his way of relating to people. We don't always understand it. We don't always get it. Uh, from my own personal experience, uh, one of the things that it has taught me when God does that is it's taught me to trust God, not for the gifts he can give, but for the person he is. Uh, in fact, uh, one famous um, spiritual writer known as St. John of the Cross wrote about a thing called the dark night of the soul, the dark night of the soul. You can Google it. You can look it up. You can find things about that. But it's this idea where, man, you go through a whole season where it's just like God just seems hidden. Everything seems dark. God seems unresponsive. It's the dark night of the soul. And John of the Cross, having examined this, not only his own life, but throughout history, basically said there's actual real benefit to that as it purifies our love for God. So that we love God for who he is himself, not what he gives and not what he provides. All right. And so man, I think that's helpful. But here's the other thing I would say about this question. Why does God seem so invisible, unknown, unresponsive? I would say, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Uh, that Jesus is God with skin on. Um, Jesus said, if, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, when you read through the Gospels about Jesus and you see Jesus interacting with people, you're seeing God in action. And so if you want to know who God is and what God is like, read the Gospels with that in mind that I, I'm watching God in action, right? Like the scriptures repeatedly affirm that Jesus uh, was God himself with skin on. Right? The Apostle Paul, that in him all the fullness of deity dwells in a bodily form. Uh, the Gospel of John begins by saying that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it jumps in verse 14 and says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus, Jesus, what makes God so invisible, unknown, unresponsive? Well, uh, the answer to that is he's not. He's not. Yes, there are times where he seems uh, unresponsive, and I already talked about that, right? Dark night of the soul and all that, and yet ultimately we can look at Jesus. We can look at Jesus and know that in him we're seeing God in the flesh. So Jesus, uh, look at him. Next question that uh, I want to uh, lump into this, this episode as well. What makes belief in Jesus the exclusive way to true life, both here and now, as well as after death? Um, my, my thoughts on that are this, that when we read the history of religions, when we read what the world was like before Jesus, when we read the teachings of other great philosophers and other great moralists, right? We read some of those things and we can compare them with Jesus. Jesus stands above them all. 
like above them all. Um, Dallas Willard was a philosophy professor at the University of Southern California. In fact, for a while, he was the chair of the philosophy department at the University of Southern California. Uh, he was a Jesus follower as a philosopher at a secular university, reading all sorts of philosophers, ancient and modern, all sorts of great moral teachers, ancient and modern. Here's what Dallas Willard said. Jesus's teachings are the best information on the subjects of greatest importance to human beings, whether they know it or not. Like, Jesus's teachings are the best information on the subjects of greatest importance to us as human beings, on what it means to be a, a good human, what life is ultimately all about, how do we become a good human, and where is life ultimately going? What Dallas Willard is saying is Jesus has the best information on all of this. These are the kinds of questions that... Uh, religious teachers and philosophers have wrestled with for millennia. And Dallas Willard is saying Jesus has the best information on that. And I, I, I just agree. I think Dallas is right. Like what makes belief in Jesus the exclusive way to true life here and now and after death? Jesus knows best. He has the best information. He has the best teaching. He has wrestled with these topics in the most helpful, complete way. In fact, even someone like Gandhi recognizes this. Gandhi, another great religious teacher, and he said, here's just a few quotes from Gandhi about Jesus. He said, what does Jesus mean to me? Well, to me, he was one of the greatest teacher humanity ever had. Or again, Gandhi said, Jesus lived and died in vain if he did not teach us to regulate the whole of life by the eternal law of love. Or one more, Jesus, a man who was completely innocent, offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and became a ransom of the world. It was a perfect act. I mean, now, he doesn't have Jesus completely figured out, right? He, there's some things about Jesus that Gandhi maybe overlooks, but he's acknowledging that, look, when you look at Jesus' life and teachings and example, it is the best information we have on the greatest subjects uh, that we've ever wrestled with. And then you add to it this, Jesus is the only one of the, the great philosophers and great moral teachers who rose from the dead. For me, that, that, that's the you know, ultimate um, reason why Jesus is the exclusive way to true life here and now and after death. Like, I think it's always good to go with the guy who rose from the dead. And since there's only one of them, that's Jesus. And so what makes Jesus the exclusive way to true life here and now and after death? Uh, Jesus' life, Jesus' teachings, and the fact that Jesus rose from the dead to vindicate himself and his teachings? I'm good with that, right? And so that's why I think Jesus is uh, the, the best source of real, lasting, eternal kind of life, both here and now and forever. Third question that I want to explore on this episode is this, and it's it's a big one because it's one that uh, gets brought up quite a bit these days. It's this, if the church has often hurt its neighbors through violence or racism or sexism or whatever else it might have been, what does this tell us about how we should trust what the church teaches, the traditions and beliefs it's passed on to us? And, this question takes on various forms and various expressions depending on the person you're talking to and the person has had a really, really bad experience with church, right? There can be a lot of bitterness and resentment and angst in that question. There can be 
maybe just some honest, genuine wrestling with looking at the history of Christianity. So this this question takes on various forms and even various degrees of hostility. But in short, this question comes down to, man, the church sucks. So why should I believe it? Right? Like that's basically what it comes down to. And yes, yes, uh, it's fair. Like the church has not always been all it's cracked up to be, all it's called to be. Uh, yes, we, we need to admit our failings as God's people, right? Like we can't, uh, we can't change what we won't own. Correct. None of us, individually or corporately, we, we can't change what we first don't own. And so we need to admit where we've fallen short. We need to admit um, where we have gotten off track. We need to admit where we've gone against what our very teachings say. We, we need to admit where we have gone against the very example of and teachings of Jesus himself. We need to admit that so that we can correct our shortcomings and failings and get back on track. And yet, the other thing I would say, however, is our failings change as the church. Our failings as God's people. So the church getting off track and doing wrong, sometimes very desperately getting off track and very desperately doing wrong, our, our failings uh, change nothing about Jesus. And they change nothing about his resurrection. And they change nothing about him being the one true king and the new creation that he's begun in the world. And so just because Jesus' people have not always lived up to Jesus' way doesn't say hardly anything about Jesus himself. And that's the centerpiece of all of this. It's Jesus. We don't trust the church per se. We trust Jesus. Um, we're, we're in this because we believe, as we just talked about, that Jesus knows best and that he's risen from the dead. And so ultimately, um, yes, the church may get off track. Yes, even when the church is at its best, it's still not everything that we as human beings are supposed to be. And when it's at its worst, it's certainly not everything we're supposed to be. And yet Jesus and him risen from the dead. In fact, the new creation that Jesus has begun in and through his people, right? Like the new creation that by virtue of his resurrection, Jesus uh, unleashed into this world and, and the new creation that's breaking into this world because of Jesus' victory and his accomplishment is actually responsible for so much good in the world that that's also not negated by our failings as his people. So we need to hold all of this together in tension. Like, the, the new creation that Jesus started by virtue of his death, burial, and resurrection raised the value of women far beyond what the ancient uh, world did. Like you read what the ancient world said about women and the way they treated women, the way women were viewed. There were exceptions, but by and large, um, that Jesus' new creation raised the value of women. It certainly raised the dignity of children and the value of children. In fact, of just one example, in the, the Roman world, the practice of exposure of children uh, was widespread. Like, this child is unwanted. I don't know what to do with it, so I'll just go put it out in the woods and let it die. That, that's the exposure of children. That was widespread in the, the Roman world of the days of the early church, the days of the apostles. And guess what? The early Christians, because of the value of human life and the value of children even as human uh, human beings, Christians began rescuing these, these 
little babies or children left out to die, rescuing them, raising them, and caring for them themselves. That ultimately led to the whole idea of fostering and adopting children. And that grew out of the the belief in the dignity of children as human beings. And that was a result of uh, Christianity and the new creation that Jesus unleashed in the world. Uh, The earliest universities grew out of the church and the value of learning. There would be no Oxford, no Harvard, no Yale, no Princeton, and on and on without uh, what Jesus accomplished and achieved. It was actually the Christian worldview that gave rise to modern science and modern medicine and the idea of hospitals as uh, developed in the modern world. Simply put, if you look at the world before Jesus and the new creation he he inaugurated, and you look at the world after Jesus, Jesus and what he achieved has actually had a far greater impact for good than any other person in history. Any other person in history. That's why someone like even Gandhi would say, man, I admire Jesus. I admire Jesus for what he taught and what he managed to achieve and the influence he's had on the world through his people. And so, uh, yes, the church has not been all it's called to be. Heck, the whole world hasn't been all it's called to be, right? Like, as God's image bearers, that's who we are as human beings according to the worldview of the Bible. We as human beings, not just Christians, but we as human beings, uh, were created to be God's image bearers, to reflect his wisdom and goodness and justice back into the world. And we as human beings across the board, believers or unbelievers, we're not all that we were created and called to be, right? And that actually only makes God all the more amazing because he didn't give up on us. He didn't give up on this world. He didn't give up on Israel for all their failings through the Old Testament time period. And God hasn't given up on his church, even through all our failings at the present time. What God did for us in Jesus and what he continues to do in and through us in spite of our weaknesses and our shortcomings and failings is nothing short of amazing. Grace, merciful grace, amazing power to use um, flawed, broken human beings like ourselves for all the good that he's accomplished. Clear back through history and then uh, you know, Israel, through the church, and and look at the history of the world in general. God has not given up on us humans in spite of ourselves. That makes God and what he did in Jesus all the more phenomenal, all the more amazing. And so, um, yeah, the church isn't all she's supposed to be and all she's called to be, but God hasn't given up on her, and God's managed to achieve a remarkable amount of good through her sometimes even in spite of her. So we need to own our shortcomings because we can't correct what uh, we don't own. And if we're going to ever at least, you know, begin to be the people that God calls us to be, we've got to admit that. But at the same time, it changes nothing about Jesus. And it, and it doesn't change anything about what Jesus has managed to accomplish through his people, through his church, as a result of the new creation. He's accomplished and unleashed in this world. And that, my friends, is super, super good news. Hey, thanks again for tuning into this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. I'm grateful to each and every one of you. I'm grateful to each and every one of you who support this ministry and the show. Thanks for being a part of the team. And thanks for being a part of the Bible and Life family. I hope you guys have a wonderful week walking with Jesus 
and learning from him how to do life the way he would do it if he were in your place. God bless you guys. I look forward to talking to you again next week.